So what's something positive about having ADHD? So many things, honestly. I feel like personally, my brain has allowed me to experience the world in ways that most other people don't. Because I don't focus on the things that people ask me to focus on, and I focus on the things that I want to focus on, and my focus can be drawn to many different things. And so having a brain that's able to fire off that quickly has been truly a gift. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. The person you just heard speaking is Andrew, a client of mine who has ADHD. October is ADHD Awareness Month, and this episode is all about that. I'm going to explore a bunch of different aspects of ADHD, and I hope this episode answers any questions you might have about it. Today, we will learn about what happens in ADHD brains that makes them function differently. I'll also share some information about ADHD medication and other non-medication activities and how pairing them with tools and strategies that support executive function can really help give people with ADHD some confidence. These days, more and more people are finding answers in receiving an ADHD diagnosis. They're getting explanations for some of the challenges they have faced in their lives. If you've been wondering if you or your child may have ADHD, I'll give you some tips on where to start if you're interested in pursuing testing. Throughout the episode, I'll be sharing clips from conversations that I had with three people who have ADHD. Andrew, who you heard in the beginning of the episode, is an executive function coaching client of mine. He lives outside of New York City, and he's 35 years old. He was diagnosed with ADHD about two years ago. Allie is a coaching client of my colleague, Christine Keller. Allie is attending college in Europe, and she was diagnosed when she was 16. I'll also share some clips from my conversation with Bob Shea, who is a children's author who has ADHD. I interviewed him for episode 10 of Focus Forward. If you haven't listened to that one yet, check it out. He's hilarious and super honest about his life with ADHD. Before I show my nerdy side by exploring how the ADHD brain works, let's look at the symptoms of ADHD. ADHD can be broken down into three types, all of which have slightly different and sometimes overlapping symptoms. Okay, so first we have predominantly hyperactive. People with this type of ADHD might fidget and talk a lot. They may have trouble sitting still for long and waiting their turn. They may be impulsive, interrupt others, or grab things from people. Interestingly, they may also have more accidents and injuries than those without this type of ADHD. Next up is inattentive type ADHD. And this often shows up as mainly challenges with the executive function skill of attention. It may be hard for people with this type of ADHD to finish tasks, and they may miss details. It can be difficult for them to follow instructions or keep up with what's happening in a conversation. And they might be easily distracted and lose things or forget the details of their daily routines. You know that term ADD? It's an older and now outdated term for this inattentive type of ADHD. Lastly is what's called combined ADHD. People with this type have characteristics from both of the other types. 
Okay, yay, it's brain time. I think it's really, really important to understand the ADHD brain because ADHD truly does start in the brain. And for many people, just knowing what's going on in their brain can help them feel better about their challenges. ADHD is not the result of laziness. It's not the result of how you were raised by your parents or your socioeconomic level. And many studies have been done to determine what causes ADHD. And for most people, it's likely a combination of mostly genetics and maybe some environmental causes. But there's really no way to determine exactly what caused it for each person. And only correlations can be made from the results of the studies that have been done. So no exact cause has been or probably ever will be determined. You can find out more about this research in the show notes. So now that we know that ADHD is a brain thing, let's find out exactly what's going on in there. People with ADHD have challenges with executive function skills. Executive function skills originate in the prefrontal cortex in our brain. And if you've listened to the procrastination episode, you might remember some of this brain science lesson. So the neurotransmitters norepinephrine and dopamine play a role in causing ADHD symptoms. The transmitters norepinephrine and dopamine play a role in causing ADHD symptoms. Norepinephrine is the chemical that gets your brain going. It's kind of like adrenaline, but for the brain. It tells our brain to start paying attention. Dopamine is well known because it's the brain's pleasure chemical. As you may remember from the procrastination episode, when we do something pleasurable, dopamine is released and makes us want to do the thing again. So if we put hard work and effort into something and we get rewarded, dopamine is produced. And then this dopamine makes us want to put the effort in again because the reward feels good. For people with ADHD, less dopamine and less norepinephrine make it to the regions of the brain involved with motivation and attention, and that makes it harder to stay motivated and focused. Let's dig a little deeper into the ADHD brain. So we have this network of regions in our brain called the default mode network. And this network is active when we're daydreaming, you know, when you're like not focused on anything. It's also active when we think about ourselves or others. And it's active when we plan for the future or remember the past. And then when it's time to focus on something, we inhibit this default mode network and then turn on the networks that are used for attention and cognitive control. So studies have shown that it may be that people with ADHD have dysregulation in the default mode network and just have a more difficult time turning it off when it's time to focus. And what do you know? These networks are all located in or involve the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex, which, as we know, is where our executive function skills originate from. Gender comes into play with ADHD symptoms and diagnosis. ADHD can show up differently in cisgender males and females. Unfortunately, there is a severe lack of research on how ADHD impacts people who do not identify as their birth gender, and there absolutely needs to be more diversity of gender within the research done in the field of ADHD. Well, in all research, really, and I think especially mental health and related topics. 
So today I will do my best to share what has been learned in the research thus far, and I really encourage you to reach out to your state representatives and ask them for more research to be done for the under-researched population. Okay, so for convenience, I'm going to say boys and girls, but please know that I also mean cisgender men and women. More boys are diagnosed with ADHD than girls. This may be because the symptoms that boys usually have, such as hyperactivity and impulsivity, are more external, and they more obviously impact their day-to-day -day lives and the people around them. Girls usually have more internal behaviors, such as difficulty maintaining attention and remembering things, and they often develop strategies to hide these challenges. Sometimes girls also have anxiety and depression, so ADHD behaviors are missed and then the child is misdiagnosed. Sometimes girls who are misdiagnosed don't find out until much later in life that ADHD was actually the cause of their childhood challenges. Societal expectations can also come into play here as well. How many times have you heard, or maybe you even said so yourself, that those rowdy boys over there are just boys being boys? Hyperactive or impulsive behavior in boys is more accepted, and in general, society expects girls to be more controlled, so they develop coping skills to fit into these expectations. Again, here's another reason why many women are not diagnosed until adulthood. In regards to the impact on executive function skills, studies have found that in general there are not too many differences between boys and girls with ADHD. Executive function skills seem to be similarly influenced by it in both. So now that we know the brain science behind ADHD and the common symptoms that may appear in those with ADHD and how it can affect girls and boys differently, it's time to take a look at some strategies people can use to manage it. First, I'm going to talk about medication, and then we'll dive into some non-medication strategies you can use to level the playing field for your ADHD brain. As I've said before, and I will say again and again, using medication is a personal choice, and whatever choice people make about medication is okay. As an executive function coach, I work with a lot of people who have ADHD, and I always support my clients' decisions about medication, whatever they are, without judgment. We recently held a webinar on what to do after a diagnosis of ADHD, and our guest was Teresa Cerulli, and Teresa is a psychiatrist and an expert in ADHD diagnosis. Teresa helped us understand the ins and outs of ADHD medication. Remember how we talked earlier about how the ADHD brain works differently? Teresa explained that since people with ADHD have underactive frontal lobe circuits, their brains require a higher level of stimulation to function properly. And here's where the role of medication comes in to provide that stimulation. And you might be wondering, why would you want to stimulate a person who already has high energy? And Teresa shares how this works. I get this question all the time. Why in the world would you talk about stimulant medications for somebody who's already hyperactive and impulsive? It's kind of counterintuitive. And the reason is because you're not trying to stimulate the whole person you want to stimulate that frontal part of the brain that its job is to help us focus, concentrate, filter out, filter out background noises, organize, and plan. 
You're trying to turn it on to do its job most efficiently and effectively. Now that we know how ADHD medication works, let's listen to what Teresa has to say about the choice to use medication. So medications, uh, I will say it should be something to at least discuss with your providers. Medication isn't for everyone, but should at least be considered for everyone is how I would how I would think about it. And mostly because of the data uh, looking, this was these were NIMH funded studies, not pharmaceutical funded studies years ago. Um, looking at the role of behavioral interventions versus medication interventions versus combined in treating ADHD. And the the surprise was that medication interventions um, compared with behavioral interventions alone, medication interventions were more significantly impactful. And then we all made the assumption that the combined medication and behavioral treatment would be even more impactful and which was true but not to the extent that they had anticipated so it does look like a main uh, a main part of the treatment intervention should be medication should at least be considered this is neural neurobiologically based and the sometimes it's hard to make headway in your behavioral strategies those strategies become hard to learn and or utilize if you're also not not working from the inside out and helping with the neurobiological aspects in terms of what's happening in the brain. Some people may be okay without medication and others might rely on it. And like I said before, whatever your choice is, that's your choice. I really encourage you to do what works best for you and your family. And like Teresa said, at least have the conversation with your doctor about medication before making a decision either way. To learn a lot more about ADHD medication, including non-stimulant medications, you can listen to the full webinar in which Teresa explains the different options that are available. And you can find the link to that in the show notes. When I asked Andrew and Allie about what role medication plays in their lives, they both said that it helps them by allowing them to focus and making it easier to take advantage of the non-medication strategies that they use. They both also feel that the medication alone is not the answer. I was immediately prescribed Adderall and I was like, I don't want Adderall. I was like, give me strategies. I want coaching. I want like something that I can like learn and apply. I don't want to have to just like take a drug because I knew the problems weren't going to go away just because I was taking Adderall. Right. If anything, Adderall was going to make it worse because I was just I was going to focus, but I was going to be focusing in the wrong ways. Um, And so the combination of the strategies and the medication have been really powerful. And I think for me, the medication, it's just clarity. I I go on TikTok every once in a while and like there's the ADHD memes where it's like the five songs playing at one time, right? Like that's what it feels like. And sometimes that's where I need to be. That's a great place for my head to be, right? But sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just, I need to get stuff done. And it's just nice to know that it's there. I would say I don't take medication every day, but I've changed my perspective on medication. And I think having having the strategies to fall back on and then having the medication to fall back on, that, that kind of double layer of protection, if you will, it's been, it's been huge. I mean, I didn't get on medication until later in the high school game when I think it could have helped me a bit earlier. So I was in my senior year of high school when I started taking medication. 
And it really was a game changer for me in the sense where I think it was one of the first times in my life I felt like actual focus. I was like, oh my God, this is the hype. Like, this is what people have been talking about. Like sitting down for a few hours and getting work done and feeling like I'm like tunnel vision doing my work right now. Um, and I, it was a really, I think, a really great feeling to feel that you kind of have control of that um, and kind of taking that into your own hands again and not letting like concentration problems manifest that for you and being like, okay, I can do work now with this. But I do, I mean, I'm a believer that with most problems that can be treated with medication, it has to be supplemented through a holistic approach. Um, I mean, maybe it's just that uh, my mom is from Latin America, so I think there's different ideas there on medication. I mean, anywhere outside of the US, even living here, I've realized medication is very much like a last resort situation. And I used to be very against that when I was trying to get medication. I was like, just give me it, like help me out. But now I really, really see the the benefit of having a holistic approach because I don't think I would be able to do many of the things that I do today without the help that I get from Beyond Booksmart, for example, or other executive function skills that I've developed outside of medication. I just think a supplemental approach is like, they have to go hand in hand, if not, I don't think the total thing will ever be resolved. Bob Shea, um, the children's author that I interviewed for episode 10, shared a similar experience. He explained that before he started taking ADHD medication, he would really miss out on experiences with his family because he was always trying to play catch up with what he had missed at work all week. So he didn't get to hang out with them on the weekends. He shared with me how the medication made a huge difference for him. The medication allowed me to make use of the systems I had been trying to put in place because it was always planners. It's always ca uh, calendars, planners. How do I do this? How do I do this? And, and once I took the medication, I was able to do all the things yeah. and everything fell into place. It's all, it's all a big, it's not just, oh, I took a pill and I was fine. Yeah. It yeah. was, it, it was a framework of things and knowing that you're even now I'm like, you're bad at this. So you have to do this more than other people do. The most important takeaway from all three of these people is that they did not use the medication alone. The medication helps them take advantage of and be better about using the non-medication strategies they've learned. And there are an infinite number of strategies out there to support the areas that challenge people with ADHD. So in the interest of time and my sanity, I'm just going to explore a few of these strategies today. And not all of them that I'm going to talk about are going to be helpful to everyone. But if you have ADHD, actually, if you're just a person, you might find these helpful. But if you have ADHD, they'll likely be extra helpful. And please have a listen to our previous episodes, especially the one on procrastination and the one on habit tracking for some other ideas. And then in my next episode, I'm going to be coming at you with ideas for improving your time management skills. But back to this episode. Before we dive into specific tools and strategies, we need to talk about two really important things that people with ADHD should consider adding to their lives, therapy and exercise. Therapy is definitely something to look into because it can help with anxiety and depression, and it can also reduce ADHD symptoms. 
Cognitive behavior therapy, which is also called CBT, has especially been shown in studies to be very helpful in reducing symptoms. You can learn more about the benefits of therapy in our show notes, and I encourage you to ask your doctor for support in identifying a therapist who has some experience supporting people with ADHD. All right, now about that exercise, Allie, Bob, and Andrew all shared that exercise makes a huge difference for them in managing their ADHD symptoms. It makes sense to me. Exercise increases neurotransmitters in the brain, including dopamine and norepinephrine. So in addition to all the other benefits that exercise provides, your brain also gets a nice boost of those chemicals involved with motivation and attention. Studies have shown that exercise improved executive function in kids with ADHD, and more research needs to be done on adults with ADHD. But the consensus seems to be that exercise is pretty much the number one thing you can do for yourself. It improves your memory and provides opportunities to add structure to your day and just gives you something to focus on. And it even gives you a chance to practice some mindfulness. Allie shared with me how running has benefited her life greatly. I really like running both as like a place to put in my energy, but also a place to kind of practice mindfulness, especially as someone with ADHD. Like it's a great way to like process emotions and feelings and everything you're taking in in throughout the day. I mean, I think it also applies for someone without ADHD as well. I mean, I'm very running. Okay. So we now know that medicine, should you choose to use it, therapy and exercise are all super helpful. In addition to these, I think building systems to support planning and time management for people with ADHD is also critical for success and satisfaction in their lives. My colleagues and I see evidence of this in our clients all the time. My podcast producer and editor, Sean Potts, who joined me in episode four to contribute his experience with ADHD as a child, shared with me that he relies on Google Calendar and an STM. And the STM is a tool I talked about in our episode on procrastination, and it helps you break down the individual steps or tasks that are involved in a project or things that you need to do in your day. And then once you've created a list of those steps or tasks, you figure out how long each one will probably take, and then you map it out on your calendar or your planner. Allie shared a similar love for planning things ahead of time and using her Google Calendar just those tools and those um, kind of like systems in place have helped me tremendously just add structure and add clarity to things that can just seem like a lot. Just for example, like organizing study work, just writing down. I mean, before every semester, I will write down like all the assignments I will need to do by week, just so that I know that when it hits like week four and I don't want to look up what work I have in the syllabus I already have it there or for me like recently Google calendaring has been a game changer like total game changer um just having like kind of a list of like okay at this time I'm gonna have breakfast at this time I will go to the gym at this time I will shower it seems a bit extreme but I think the big thing is if I get off track um not blaming myself at all but having it more as a guide and a resource to look back to because getting off track is fine and it's kind of like a natural thing anyone would do with or without ADHD but being able to return to a routine is the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with that it's been super helpful. 
Andrew also uses his calendar for part of the system that he's created, which starts with the process of breaking large tasks down into smaller chunks. For him, this is the key to success, so he spends much of his time breaking things down. He then adds those smaller tasks that he's created to his calendar, and he has found a great side benefit to doing that. The amount of energy it saves me in the long run is massive, and the amount of burnout that it saves me from too, and I think that's the other thing. Um, allowing myself to rest, right? Knowing that when I have something on the calendar and be like, you can work on this tomorrow. You have time to work on this tomorrow. And if you're not here tomorrow, it's not going to matter, right? So like, you don't have to finish this today. Um, you have time to work on it tomorrow. And if for whatever reason you can't, then you can't, right? But, um, but that has really allowed me to incorporate rest into what I do, um, which has also been just hugely powerful. Timers are very helpful for people with ADHD. Using a timer can both remind you of the passing of time and also help you to focus knowing that there's an end coming up when that timer goes off. Bob loves using timers and shared with me how he uses them. I'll tell you something. The timers are the key to everything. If if I use the timers, the days I'm 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 diligent about using the timers, that's a good day. Mm-hmm. If I'm just like, eh, I'll just freestyle it today. It's like, it, it's not a bad day. It still works. It falls apart a lot easier. Those timers, because it gives you a little deadline. Andrew uses timers to make a dreaded task easier. When he and I first met, he shared with me that there was nothing he hated more than doing the dishes. We worked together to figure out a way to make doing them less awful for him. And he shared this update with me about it. I think one of the biggest things for me has been dishes, right? Like that has been for the longest time, just the hardest thing for me. And I would do it. I would I would do the dishes, but it was always just like physically painful for me to do the dishes. But I think like doing a bunch of different things, I think timing myself for a while and realizing that it actually doesn't take that long for me to do the dishes. Um, and then I think setting a timer has also been helpful. Be like, you know, just do it for five minutes and then stop if you don't want to keep doing it. And also realizing now that like, I do feel better when I do it. So reminding myself of that. Whatever strategies you use to create a system that supports you and your executive function challenges, it's important to remember that you own this process and you can make it work for you. It may be different from other people's systems, and you may need more support in areas that your friends don't. You might have to ask for help more often, and that's okay. I loved what Allie had to say about this. The biggest thing for me is overall finding what works, but not having shame and it being different than everyone else. Because I think the biggest thing I had to overcome in ADHD help and support was kind of the shame that I, it wasn't the same that all my friends were going to do. And it wasn't the natural route I thought it should be. But ultimately, it's what helps me be successful and what helps me feel good about myself. And I don't think there should be any shame in that whatsoever. And I think kind of piecing that together for myself at one point was super, super beneficial. 
Ali and Andrew have both found invaluable support by working with an executive function coach. We coaches are trained to support people with executive function challenges by meeting them where they are and helping them build these systems and habits into their day-to-day lives. And then they allow them to feel more confident in their ability to reach their goals. And having someone there that's on your side and understands your challenges can really help to make lasting change. You can find out more about our coaching on the Beyond Booksmart website, or you can just do a general search for executive function coaching on the internet. Okay, so the last thing I'm going to cover today is the topic of how to get tested if you think you or your child has ADHD. A good place to start is your child's pediatrician or your own primary physician. Testing can also be done by clinical psychologists, licensed social workers, and psychiatrists. You can talk with the school psychologist at your child's school for help, too. There are more resources in the show notes for how to get the testing process started. It can be scary to put your kiddo or yourself out there, but it can also be the answer to many, many questions. Andrew shared his experience receiving his diagnosis. Being diagnosed was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to take action. I talked to a nurse practitioner and then I went and sat for like, it's very long and you have to answer like thousands of questions and go back to like, talk about your family history and all of that stuff. But I remember at the end of it, the woman that interviewed me for the diagnosis, she was like, oh yeah, you, you clearly have ADHD. And she was like, let me kind of walk you through kind of what it is and how it works. And she walked me through like the brain structure and like what happens in your brain and what ADHD is. And that was huge. That was massive. And I think that's what led me to coaching. And that's what what enabled me to be like, okay, I know what my problems are, but now I know what the source of the problem is. Um, so I can do something about it. And I think being diagnosed has now allowed me to find some semblance of peace with the challenges that I face. And Allie had a similar experience. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 16, more or less, but I had experienced all the symptoms. I mean, more severely when I was younger and kind of as it progressed more academically um, through my whole life. So when I looked at these symptoms, and I wasn't really educated on ADHD. I genuinely, and this is a bit sad, but I genuinely thought I was like, I'm just stupid. Like, uh, I, I thought I had like some sort of IQ cap on myself. I was like, that's the only logical explanation. And once I got that diagnosis, I think I was able to do my own research and find sort of just validation in the diagnosis so that a lot of things clicked. And it just felt like, okay, this is not like me being unintelligent in any way, whatever that means. Um, It's just me going down a different individual path than everyone else. And over time, I learned that there's no shame in that whatsoever. It actually makes you much, I think, well, much more well-rounded and decent human. (laughs) Bob shared with me that the diagnosis explained everything for him. He said this revelation and the medication changed his life completely. Before I go, I wanted to share that all three of my guests see some really positive aspects of their ADHD. Bob feels like his sense of humor is unique because of the unexpected ways his ADHD brain allows him to think. And Allie is really proud of the positive ways that ADHD affects her socially. On a more positive note, I think 
it's affected my life with socially. I think I'm a very social person. I think because I kind of have a lot of things going on in my head, I think I can be witty at times. And uh, I don't know, it makes me feel like happy that I have this ability to kind of think on my feet a lot. Um, and then kind of adding on to that problem solving, um, I think people with ADHD are inherently more creative. And I think people with lear any learning differences than the norm are always gonna have more creative thoughts and ideas. So I think when presented with a problem, I am proud that I can often think outside of the box a bit um, and think very much on my feet, um, which is something I'm proud of uh, with having ADHD. Andrew shared a story about how he feels that ADHD is his superpower. I mean, it's my superpower in so many ways, and it's also my kryptonite, but I think understanding how to apply it has been has been key. So like an example of that, um, we went to the, my, my business partner and I went to the bank and we were trying to open up our business account and I was bored. <laughs> so <laughs> we were waiting and I was just, I was sitting and I was just like waiting and I was looking around and I was, this was in New York City and so I was, just watching the people right and this guy like was standing outside the bank and like he had his pants down below his butt and no underwear and i was just like what the hell i was like welcome to new york city but very quickly um he came back and because i had noticed him before and i noticed him again he came back and he started harassing a girl outside the bank and i just immediately just ran up and like stopped the guy and like chased him off and um but it was like if i was if i was able to just focus on the bank account i would have never even known the guy was there i would have never even known that happened i would have never seen it um but i i feel like because i was bored because i was distracted because i was looking at all the things that were going around i noticed that and i think like that to me was a solidifying moment of like you know what there might be some sort of evolutionary adaptation purpose to this that that we don't really recognize and appreciate in modern society but like i mean think about it if you're in the bush with somebody with adhd and every sound and every like you know smell can trigger them and they'll be like what was that um that's probably somebody you want with you and that is our show for today. I want to thank Allie, Andrew, and Bob for openly sharing their experiences living with ADHD. They were all very happy to do so, and they really hope that their stories will help normalize both neurodivergent learners and show the world that having these conversations about ADHD is really important. I mean, podcasts like these are so important and just like general work on informing the masses on ADHD because... I think when you believe that like a neuronormative way of going about life is the only way, it really makes you so confused for so many things and you just feel very separated from the rest of the world when there's genuinely no need for that whatsoever. We'll be back with more important conversations about topics that affect us every day because executive functioning affects every aspect of our lives. I personally feel very, very grateful to be able to be part of enabling these conversations and sharing useful information so that we can all improve our executive functioning skills and in turn, improve our lives. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. If you are enjoying Focus Forward, please share it with your friends. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode because there's a ton, and I mean a ton, of good info in there. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to our podcast newsletter at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share topics and information related to the episode. Thanks for listening.